My name is Blake Shaw. If you don't know me, I normally stand right here. I'm the one who sings like a woman on Sundays. Um, it's okay. I'm good with it. When I go through the drive-thru, I'm, you know, I want a number one with a Dr. Pepper. Uh, yes, ma'am. Anything else? Some testosterone if you have some. Uh, but that's me. I'm okay with it. If you're okay with it, I'm okay with it. It's just that my voice, when I preach, is going to get higher and higher. I'm going to sound like Mickey Mouse. That goes good at my toddler's birthday party, but preaching is a little different story. So bear with me, if you will, as I speak. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be up here. I appreciate Thank you, Chris, and the worship team for leading us before God's throne in our worship this morning through the music. And now we transition from worshiping God through music to worshiping God in the Word of God this morning. So if you have a Bible, if you have a device, whatever you use this morning, go ahead and start turning over to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6, because that's where we'll come from today. If you'll remember that we have, we started off in Ephesians was where, was where we're going to come from today talking about standing firm in the faith. This is our last series in the Man Up series. It's the last part of that. Ephesians chapter number 6. This goes apart with the verse that was talking about standing strong, standing firm in the faith. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin reading here in verse number 10 and 11 here. Verse number 11, I believe, will be on your screen. But I'm going to read through verse 10 as well. Verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Now, we have here in the book of Ephesus, where Paul is writing to this church. Now, Ephesus is a pretty big deal. Ephesus is the center of the Asian churches. If you remember, when we talked about Revelation, Ephesus is kind of the central church, if you will, that is the hub, if you will, of Asia. So those seven churches in Asia, Ephesus is like their big dad, okay? That's like the place that they all came out of. They looked to them as an example. And so Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus here, okay? Half of it in, uh, in Ephesians there would be a doctrinal statement in the front half, and then in the back half you have the practical. So here we're getting to the practical, but the practical in Paul's epistles always follows his doctrinal. Why? Because the practical applications of his epistles, the practical applications of what he's trying to teach you, stem from the doctrine in which he is taught. And so oftentimes we run into practicality when we have no doctrine to back our practicality. Therefore, our practicality makes no sense, and it doesn't work as much as we like it. If it doesn't follow what God has told us through the doctrine and through the teaching of his word, our practicality doesn't work. Now, you can get caught up in doctrine and never be practical, so Paul is a very good example of both. He's going to give us doctrinal statements in the front of Ephesians, and he's going to give us practical statements at the end of Ephesians. Many historians believe that the church of Ephesus was going to get this letter and then circulate this letter throughout those seven other churches in Asia. So we get down to the end. And what does he say? Finally, brethren. So after I've already talked about all these other things, after I've gone through the doctrinal statements, after I've given you practical application in your life, now I'm telling you, finally, brethren, I want you to be strong. I want you to be strong in the Lord. Not just be strong, but be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Now, we've been talking about what? The Man Up series, right? Because we want our men in our church, in this church, and in the churches throughout the country to be strong in what they believe, to be strong in the faith, and to be strong real men. Now, of course, American culture has dictated to us what real men are, right? Real man is not necessarily that really big dude with the Stetson hat, drinks a lot of whiskey, goes to bars, smokes a lot of cigars, and puts Merino hair over his knee when she talks too much, Right? I love John Wayne too, but that's not necessarily what a man is. Because Paul begins to equate a man with someone who is standing in the Lord and standing under the kingship of Christ. Be strong in the Lord. Our true strength is Christ and the hope of glory. 
So we need to understand that. Now, he begins to talk about armor here. Now, a lot of times you can expose it through the armor. I'm not going to expose it through the armor today, and here's why. I think it's very easy to get caught up in what the armor is representing. When Paul is not even consistent in what the armor represents, he doesn't use the same armor and the same ideas with everything. And, and here in Ephesians, he calls the breastplate righteousness. In Thessalonians, he calls the breastplate faith and love. So I don't think the point is the breastplate. I don't think the point is the helmet. I think the point is what they represent and what they are. What they actually consist of, which is truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, and God's word. So it's very consistent with Paul when he says in other epistles to put on Christ. What is the armor of God? Well, who consists of all those things? Jesus Christ. So while I think there is some benefit in looking at it as armor, and we'll kind of look at that a concept, we're not going to focus all morning on that concept. We're going to focus on putting on Christ and putting on that armor as a whole, not as individual pieces. Because you'll notice Christ never tells you to put on some of it. Paul never says, get you a couple of pieces of that armor and go do it. What does he say? Put it all on. So there is an implication there that we are always to be dressed fully in God's armor, never with certain pieces that we like or don't like. That as Christians, we walk in all of God's armor, not in some of it. And that is becoming more and more of an issue in today's church, isn't it? People walk in some of God, but not all of Him. People think they can take pieces of God and pieces of Christ and pieces of the church and walk in some of it, but not in all of it. So we're kind of break that down and we kind of look at it today. We have to look at it because it's important. Men, you must understand the seriousness of the battle that you face. As a father and a husband, you are called of God to do that. A husband is not just about a physical relationship with a wife. It is a calling of God to lead. As a father, God did not give you kids just to make you happy and to make you give you a gift. He gave you kids to lead them, guide them, and direct them as a calling from himself. And that's serious. We must understand and be aware of the battle that is serious and that is there. Now, what are we facing? The Bible says we need to be ready to stand against what? The devil and his scheme. His schemes. I think sometimes we have a misconcept or a misunderstanding of what schemes of the devil are. The devil is not running around trying to make you cuss today, okay? That's not what he's trying to get you to do. He ain't trying to get you to sit down and watch a movie you're not supposed to watch. The scheme of the devil is to be just like he has always been, just like he was with Adam and Eve in the garden, and just like he has been ever since then. His scheme is to get you to doubt God. And as long as you'll doubt God, no matter what you do, you're in sin. So he's cool with you coming to church this morning as long as you doubt God. Because your attendance in church of doubting God is sinful. I'm not telling you you shouldn't come to church. But what I'm saying is, is do not think that because you do good things and you doubt God's promises, that the devil doesn't have you right where he wants you. Because all he had to get Eve to do was what? Doubt what God said. Did God really say don't eat that? Just try it. No big deal. He even told her a little bit of truth, didn't he? What did he say? You'll be just like God. You'll know good and evil. True statement. And she found that out, didn't she? She found out how bad it was to know both good and evil. Thank God for his redemption. The devil's scheme isn't to make you do bad things. It's to make you doubt God's promises. So the problem with sin is we continue to look at sin as a nuisance. We look at sin as a nuisance instead of repulsive. We look at sin as, a, as just a problem that we have to deal with instead of something that is harming our lives and disables us to do what God has called us to do, men, which is to lead our wives and to lead our children, and then to gather together as family units of God for the purposes of His glory in the church. Why can't the church function like it should? Because the families of the church don't function as they should. Why don't the families of the church function as they should? Because leaders of the home do not stand firm in their faith. Because leaders in the home are not taking the role. How do we know this? It is evident by the fact of the number of women who bring their children to church without their husbands. I'm not talking about just in Riverbend Church. I'm talking about everywhere. You'll see it. 
And it's a common problem. I guarantee you, if you talk to Brian, he talked to multiple pastors across this nation that have the same exact issue of, getting, of having trouble with men who will participate and become all in in their church lives. Their wives and their kids come. It's important, men. It's important for all of us to walk in that faith. So when we are freed from our sin and we are given this victory through Christ, what comes with that? The ultimate defense against Satan and his scheme. Because Satan's scheme always makes sense until we are freed from our sin and our slavery to that. And now it begins to become something. So, by way of introduction, we see that. Now, we're going to get real practical here on this one. Real practical on our ports about points about the armor of God. It's not fancy, but I think it's very, very important and crucial. First point about the armor of God is that you must possess it. We must first possess the armor. Now we look and we say, isn't that a given? Isn't that a normal? Shouldn't that be an assumption? Yes, and that's the problem. The problem is that possession of the armor often becomes an assumption. Because one of the hardest things it is for preachers to do is to stop assuming that everybody they talk to is a Christian. One of the hardest things it is to do when you get up to preach in your church is to assume that everybody out there is a born-again believer. And to forget that there are lost among you who have no armor. That there are lost people sitting in the pews in churches all across this nation, men all across the nation, who are lost and who have no armor. Therefore, they cannot stand firm. Sometimes the frustration of not being able to stand firm in the faith is because we don't have it. And so that's where we have to start, right? We have to start with, do we possess said armor? Can we stand firm in faith if we don't have it? We have done a disservice to our men. By assuming that they're born again. Just because they come to church. Whether it's regularly or sporadically. And not telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not preaching to them what Christ has preached. We've watered down the gospel to the point, and you've heard this said before, we've watered down the gospel to the point where the gospel call is nothing more than a prayer that is said at the end of a service. It is nothing more than asking Jesus into your heart, even though the Bible never tells you to do so. It is all of these things that we have put into the gospel that the gospel doesn't tell us. But what we're afraid to do is stand up and to tell people exactly what Jesus told them, which is to repent of your sin and yourself and believe his gospel. That he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that the only way, the only hope that you have is in him. But what have we reduced it to? You want to go to heaven? Just say this prayer. You want to go to heaven? Ask Jesus into your heart. We get the right answers from people. The problem is, is we're asking the wrong questions. Are you a sinner? That's the question that we ask. And we're always going to get the right response because the lost man knows he's a sinner and he likes it. He knows he's a sinner. He knows what he does is wrong. I have an atheist friend at work. He'll tell you right now he's a sinner. That's not the question. The answer is right, but the question is wrong. The question isn't, are you a sinner? The question is, are you broken over your sin? Do you understand what your sin is? Because until a man becomes aware and broken over his sin, he doesn't need Jesus. What do we ask him? You want to go to heaven when you die? As if heaven is the chief end. And it's not. God did not save you to go to heaven. He saved you for his glory. He saved you for his honor. He saved you to worship him and to live for him and to die for him. He didn't save you just to take you to heaven. Heaven is not your home. We'll only be in heaven for a little while. A new heaven, a new earth will be created. And we don't know where, what that entails and what that looks like. So stop selling people a bill of goods about heaven and start selling people, start telling people, excuse me, about the Christ. The question isn't, do you want to go to heaven? The question is, do you want Christ? Do you want God himself? Because God does not call you to go to heaven. He calls you to himself. He calls you to him, to Christ. That's the question. The question isn't, do you want to pray a prayer and ask Jesus into your heart? 
question is, do you believe? Now let's look over at the scripture. We might as well look at the scripture while we're talking about it, right? Romans 10, 13, turn over there. Since we brought it up, we'll talk about it. We just don't want to be confused. We want to be right on what we're saying. Romans 10, 13, everybody's quintessential ask Jesus into your heart verse. It occurs three times in the Bible. Once is in Joel, which is where this quotation comes from, and once is in Acts. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You've heard the verse. You've heard it used in that sense. You call on the Lord, you'll be saved. You ask Jesus to save you, he'll save you. You call Jesus, ask Jesus in your heart, he'll take you to heaven when you die. Now, I'm not sure where we came up with that. Call does not mean to pray. And there's no mention about the heart. The Bible does talk about believing in your heart in other verses. But it doesn't say anything about asking Jesus to do that. So the question here is, is what do we mean? If you actually look at call upon the name of the Lord, the phrase call upon is the exact same phrase that Paul uses before Festus when he says, I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. What is he saying? I appeal, I want to take my case to the authority of Caesar and let him judge. Exact same words. So a better understanding of the translation of Romans 10, 13 would be, I want to take my case before Christ because he is merciful and gracious. I want to give my case to him and let him redeem me. Now let's look at the rest of the scripture and even see what it says. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if we, let's even give ourselves that. Let's say well, that is praying and asking Jesus in your heart. Look at the next verse. We, 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 we fail to keep reading. How then will they call on him whom they have not already believed? So what have we done? We have told people in order to be saved, you have to ask Jesus into your heart. What does the Bible say? They cannot call on me until they've believed. And yet we have deemed the calling as a belief. We have told people, if you, if you want to be saved, then you have to call. The scripture implies that in order to call, you must be saved. You must have already believed. Now, if we want to argue that the calling and the belief are the same, or that the calling is a part of the belief, we can then talk about adding a work to a belief. Because when the jailer asked what I do to be saved, what was the answer? Believe. And that seemed to be, at the time, good enough. And if we truly believe that all we need to do is, ask, is to believe in Christ, which is what God says, what Christ tells us, if we truly believe that all we need to do is believe in Christ, and then we want to add a prayer to it, we just added work. Can a prayer be a part of believing in Christ? Yes, you better believe it. Can a crying out and a calling out to God be that? Yes, but the Bible seems to imply that that is a result of belief not the means to believe. Look at what it keeps saying. And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So then faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we have an issue. We want people to come to faith in Christ, but they can't call on him because they haven't believed in him. And they can't believe in him because they haven't heard of him. And if they don't hear, they don't have any faith. So faith has to come from hearing. And hearing comes through the words of Christ. Now the question is, does that mean if I speak the words of Christ that everybody who hears it, hears it? In the terms that the Bible is using. Look over in John 8, 44. John 8, 44. John 8, 44, talking to the Pharisees, Jesus Christ says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, 
You do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whosoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So we have an instance here when the Pharisees are spoken the words of Christ through the gospel, and he says, while physically hearing them, you have not heard them. Now, why couldn't they hear them? Jesus answers his own question. Because they're not of God. So now we have another conundrum. I can't call because I don't believe, and I don't believe because I don't have faith, and I don't have faith because I can't hear. So faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes from the word. Why can't I hear? Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen. It should be. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Just accept Jesus. And it gives us an instance of someone who does not and will not and cannot accept Jesus. And who is that? The natural person. So we constantly spend our time employing the natural man to make a spiritual decision that he cannot make. Why? Because he can't hear. Because he can't hear, he doesn't have faith. Because he has no faith, he can't believe. Because he can't believe, he cannot call. So the question is, is where does our hearing come from? Where does this come from? How can we do this? John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, speaking to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born whenever he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Natural man answer. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, physical birth, and the Spirit, new birth, cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says that you and I were dead in our trespass, and in our sin. But that we have been made alive by God in Christ. So what do we have here? Just as Lazarus laying in his grave is incapable of coming out of that grave until what happens? Until Jesus Christ says, Lazarus, come Fourth, and with that call comes what? The ability to hear that call and then the ability to respond to said call and walk out of the grave. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're here today, it is my prayer. Not that you have made a decision at summer camp sometime and said some prayer. It is my prayer that you have heard the call of Jesus Christ. And you have heard him call you from your sin grave. And if you have heard him call you, I say believe. If you have heard him speak your name and call you from your sin grave, he has given you the ability to hear, therefore the ability to have faith, therefore the ability to believe, therefore the ability to call on his name. 
It is an appeal to the authority of who Jesus is that we are born again, that we are saved from his wrath. Who makes us alive? The Spirit makes us alive. And then as the Revelation churches, we have ears to hear. I'm not here today to try to make you doubt salvation. I'm not here to try to get you saved again because there's no such thing. But what I want you to understand is that if you continue to live under the delusion that because you've done something, you're going to heaven, I pray for you. I pray for you. Because that is why so many people live in so much doubt about their salvation. Because they have placed the emphasis of salvation upon an event that they participated in instead of on the Christ who has brought them to life. And when they begin to doubt their event, they begin to doubt their salvation. How do we know that we've placed emphasis on the event? Because when people come to us and they say, man, I'm struggling with my salvation. I don't know if I'm... I I mean, I, I don't know. What do we ask them? Has there ever been a time? When you prayed and asked Jesus into your heart. Has there ever been a time where you accepted Christ? Why are we giving them assurance based on an event that they participated in instead of giving them assurance on what Christ is doing in them right now? 1 John is an entire book emphasizing the characteristics of the believer. And the assurance of salvation through what Christ is doing in me now. Do I love the brethren? Do I love Christ? Do I follow his commands? Do I have a desire for him? And at the end of 1 John, what does he say? All of these things I've written unto you so that you'll know that you have eternal life. What is Christ doing in you now, man? Is your life trending towards Christ? Are you following hard after Christ? It is not I that tells you to test your salvation. It is God who tells you. Examine yourself. And see if you're in the faith. Now why did Paul say that? He said that because there were men who were not walking like Christ. And so he said the first thing we need to examine is whether or not we have him. Now, men, let me tell you this. If you have walked in your, what we call Christian life, and you have struggled and struggled and struggled with following Jesus, and the real answer is, is because you don't know him, I leave you not with discouragement this morning, but with hope. That the Christ who calls you to follow him is the Christ who will give you the ability to do so. That the Christ who has called you from your sin grave has given you the ability to follow hard after him. And that you do not have to continue to walk in your discouragement. You do not have to continue to walk in that. Come and believe in Christ today. Call upon his authority today. Lay yourself at the feet of Jesus and say, Christ is my redeemer. Christ is my hope. Christ is my savior. Christ is my Lord. And only in him do I trust. It is nothing that I have done but the blood of God's own son. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to Christ's cross I claim. Answer that call today, man. If you hear Jesus calling you, answer it today. Do not allow the pride of what you thought you were stand in the way of what Christ is calling you to be. Do not let the pride of thinking that you were born again stop you from being so. From understanding Christ's call today. John 6 says it is the Spirit who gives life. And the flesh is no help at all. Believe in Him today. Call upon His authority today. Put yourself into His hands. Take your case and appeal to God. Because He is merciful. He is gracious. And He is calling you from your grave. To give you new life in Himself.
The first step in that process is to make sure that we possess it. Now, when we look into our lives and we see the fruits of Christ, and we know that Christ has redeemed us and Christ has called us, it is very simple and very easy then to understand the second point. We must then put on that armor. We possess it. Now we walk in it. We walk in it. We pursue the Christ that has redeemed us. We follow the one who said, come forth. He has called out to us and we have seen him and we have believed in his gospel. We have repented of who we are and follow after him. Now, what does God's armor do? The armor represents God's protection for us. God's protection for us. Dear Christian friend, you must understand who you are in Jesus. You have got to stop living in the defeat of what the devil wants you to think and start living in the victory that Christ has promised you. He has given you what you need for defense. He has given you what you need to stand against the attacks of Satan, and that is himself. Too many times we try to hold up our own shield. We're trying to wear our own armor. We're trying to figure out what does it mean to hold the shield of faith? What does it mean to put on a breastplate of righteousness? It means to understand that all of our protection is in Christ and Christ alone. How do I put on his armor? Run to the stronghold. Run to Christ. Men, if you're not spending time daily in the word of God, running to the Christ who can protect you from the devil's schemes that day, and then you get to work and what is the first thing the devil reminds you of is that you didn't do this and you didn't do that. You didn't do this and you didn't do that. And he begins to scheme into your life while you will not win a victory today, while you won't be that today. I can't tell you how many times when you're going through life and, you, and you're, you're tempted with something, you're like, well, I haven't read my Bible today. I haven't prayed today. Today's already started off wrong, so oh well, I'll just go with it. You must understand that Christ is better than that. Christ is not limited by your Bible time in the morning. Christ has not limited himself by you. And there is never a time in your life, in your day, throughout your walk, when things come that you cannot run to Christ. He is the defense. That you cannot run to him and say, Christ, protect me. Because even when you can't hold up your shield, Jesus will hold it for you. Even when you're not strong enough to stand there with that shield, Christ is there. And he says, I'm your shield, I'll just stand here in my strength. How about that? How about I just stand here in front of you in the strength that I possess and shield you from the attacks of Satan? But we're not good with that. We don't want Christ to stand in front of us. We want to hold Christ up. And if I can't hold Christ up, then I am defenseless. No, ladies and gentlemen. What a beautiful story it is when Christ says, even when you can't even express your needs to God, Christ is interceding. The Spirit is speaking to God on your behalf and you don't even know what He's saying. Why? Because He is protecting you from what the devil has for you. And that's not just physical circumstance. We're not talking about just physical things in your life. We're talking about the devil's schemes to get you to doubt God in every situation. Where he wants you to wonder if God is still there. He wants you to wonder if God is still true. And as soon as he gets you to doubt it, you have fallen for the scheme. But ladies and gentlemen, for those who are in Christ, there is no eternal fall. For those who are in Christ, the devil cannot get to you. The devil cannot have his scheme 
Because those who God has begun a good work in, He will complete it. He will continue in that. The armor represents that. In Romans 8, 38. Why is it then Paul can talk like this in Romans 8, 38? He says, For I am sure, I am positive, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What gives him that kind of confidence? The armor of God. Christ himself, whom he puts on daily. What does he say? I die to myself every day. What is he picking up Christ's cross for? Because that's where the protection is. That's where the protection is. Secondly, the word of God represents the power of God's promises. So the armor represents the power of God's protection. And then the word that he calls the sword of the spirit, an offensive weapon in this battle, the word represents the power of God's promises. So if the word is the power of the promise, and the scheme is to doubt the promise, then there's one specific weapon that the devil does not want you to take advantage of. There's one specific thing that the devil fears the most. Because what does he know? He knows that our faith stands firm in the words of God and that that strength, that power, is stronger than his scheme. How many men are guilty of not spending time in God's Word? Husband, father, how many of us are guilty of falling and not standing firm in the faith and of wavering in our faith throughout our Christian life and wondering why we can't stand for Jesus and yet we do not spend time in His promises. It is His promise that gives us the power and the authority and the understanding that the devil has no scheme for me. The devil cannot make me doubt what God has told Where does that confidence come from? It comes from the Word of God. Once again, faith comes from hearing God's Word. The sword. The attack. Jesus gives us a beautiful example. In the wilderness, when He is tempted, does He not? When He is tempted in the wilderness, and He's been out there for all that time, and He is physically weary... He is hungry. He is tired. He is worn out. And the devil comes. And what does the devil begin to do? Make him try to doubt what God says. And what is Christ's offense? His defense is everything that he is as Christ. What is his offense? The Word of God. Jesus begins to take Scripture... And to throw it in Satan's direction. Because Satan cannot stand God's promises. Because there's a specific promise that God has made about the devil. And the devil doesn't want to think about that. Because God has already promised the devil something. And the devil knows it's going to happen. And he is quite, quite afraid of the promises of God. So what what does Jesus do? He throws scripture at Satan. Men, as you struggle through your Christian walk, it is vital and it is important that you have the Word of God. And that you do not just read it when you come here. If this is all the Word of God that you're getting in a week, you need to increase. You need to stand forth into the Word of God because you need to understand that you will never make it if you cannot stand firm with the sword of the Spirit. Ready to do that. Ready to show that Christ is real. In Psalms 119, 10 and 11, what does it say? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Does that describe you, husband? If you're talking to God, could you say to God, 
God, with my whole heart, I'm seeking you. I do not want to wander away from your commandments, and I'm going to hide your word right here in my heart so that when the devil's scheme comes, I will not sin. This is no superhuman talking here. This is David. David, who did things worse than probably, hopefully, any of us have ever done. But what does he say? In full assurance, God, with my whole heart, I'm seeking you. What does he understand about God? That he is some kind of superhuman and that he's closer to God than everybody else? No. What does he understand? He understands that he has no way to stand. That he's tried to stand firm in his faith before and he fell flat. That he tried to do it on his own and lived in that for a year or more. So what does he understand now? I can't do this. And some of you husbands, fathers, you're sitting here and you're going, I can't do this. I cannot be all the things you're talking about that God's calling me to be. That's exactly right. You can't. And what a perfect place for you to be. Because it is when you are where you cannot do it that you run to God for it. It is when you get to a point in your life where you say, I can't not be what God is calling me to be. Perfect. Now take your whole heart and seek the God who has promised you that he will win the victory. Who says, I've given you armor and I've given you a sword. And even though you can't even hold that shield up, I'm going to stand there and fight for you. We've doubted God's promises. We've doubted God's promises that we can even walk in the faith that he's called us to walk in. We look at the Christian life as impossible. We live in an American society where we're inundated with the things of the world. And then God tells us to be in the world and not of it. Now, how am I supposed to do that? How can I walk holy in a society that we live in? Are you doubting God's promises? Why are you doubting God's promises? Because you're not in the Word. You're not holding up the faith. You're not standing firm. And you can sit in Bible study, you can sit in small group, you can sit in whatever it is you're involved in and talk about forever how you can't do what you can do. But until you seek God with your whole heart and hide His Word, you'll be right. You can't. But God does not call us to live a life of talking about what we can't do. He calls us to seek Him and then to walk in the way He has called us to walk. What else does David call the Word of God? He says, your Word is like a lamp. Unto my feet. It's like a light unto my path that when everything around me is dark, I can see exactly where I need to go through your word. But we keep stumbling into walls, we keep tripping over things, we keep falling off of the way. Why? Because we're trying to walk through darkness without any light. Pick up God's word, man. Read it, study it, believe what you believe, and understand why. Don't just believe what I'm telling you. Believe what you believe because you've looked at it and you've studied it and God has shown that into your heart. And then you can stand firm in that. You can be that one who says, yes, Christ is my Savior. And the devil is wrong. And I can walk in victory. Not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is. Is that what the Apostle Paul tells us? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It is not I. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it is not me that walks like this. It is Christ in me who walks like this. Run to him today, men. Lastly, and we'll be done. We must we must persevere in the faith. We must possess that armor. We must put that armor on. And we must persevere in the faith. Ladies and gentlemen, do not believe the things that you hear on television that a call to the gospel is a call to the life of ease and wonder. Because it is not. Do not believe a gospel call that tells you when you come to Christ and you believe in Him that you're going to have health, wealth, and prosperity because that is a lie. The devil will come, and he will fight. And Jesus tells us to stand firm into him in order to stand against him, and we must persevere in that faith. Christ did not call us to a life of ease and comfort. He called us to a life of following him no matter the cost. 
And we've been, we've been wonderfully blessed by living in the society that we've lived in that has enabled us to walk in this freedom. But how harmful has that been for us? How harmful has it been that we do live in a society where we are not persecuted for our faith to see whether we are actually in the faith or not? That testimony last week ripped my heart of him speaking about a man in a village somewhere who all of a sudden becomes interested in Jesus and wants to know more about him and is completely denied by his family, runs the the risk of losing everything that he has, but he's willing to pursue the one who called him, whether it was easy or not. What a beautiful testimony of God. That God still works. And in America, you might not think that God calls people, but if that's not God's call, I don't know what to tell you it is. But what does God give? God gives that man the strength to stand in the midst of his circumstance and give glory to the king. God gives that man the faith to walk in Christ no matter how persecuted he is. I have friends who are missionary in China. And God is moving. God is doing things there that they, in their words, cannot explain. And those people face ultimate persecution. You talk about underground. That, my friends, is underground. You talk about going to church in secret. That's exactly what they do. Those missionaries are there as English teachers. Just so they can get in and try to share the gospel. And God is doing amazing things. The church there is blowing up. Why? Why are they standing firm in the faith? Because those churches are full of men who understood, counted, and pursued Christ despite the cost. Those men in those churches are not deceived into thinking that because they said some words, they're going to heaven. They know exactly who called them, and they are following him with everything that they are. And that's what Christ calls us to do. I'm convicted today. Because I look into my life and I say, I am not doing that. Am I following Christ like He has called me to follow Him with everything that I am? Am I standing firm in that kind of faith? But it is stories like that that encourage me. They drive me forward. They say there are brothers out there who are following Jesus no matter what happens. And that's such an encouragement. Such an uplift for us. That God calls us and we can run with that. We can run with that. What are we holding on to? We're holding on to the gospel that we are called with. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll finish up these verses and then we're done. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preach to you which you have received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Unless you believed in vain. What is the apostle telling us? That a characteristic, that a true mark of a believer is that not just that they believe in Christ, and not just that they walk in Christ, but that they continue in Christ. That the true mark of believing is a life that continues to follow the one who called them. And he makes a difference there. That there are people who have believed, and they have believed in vain. And how do we know they believed in vain? Because they have left. They have stopped following Jesus. Their belief was intellectual, not supernatural. Did you hear me? Their belief was intellectual and not supernatural. Unless a man is born again. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ is worthy. Jesus Christ is worthy. 
He has called you and he has enabled you and he has empowered you to bring him glory with your life. And we have no excuse for why we don't. I encourage you, brothers, to hear today. I encourage you, brothers, here today. Fathers and husbands, stand firm in Christ. I know we struggle. I struggle and you struggle. We do. Run to him every day. Pursue him in the gospel, in the word today. Pursue him in your prayer life today. Christ, I cannot be this. Please be this for me. And what does he say? When you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. And friend, you're here today. And perhaps today you've heard the call of Jesus Christ. Today you've heard Jesus Christ call you from a sin grave. Recognize that your sin is your condemnation. And that you are completely depraved as that sinner. But that Christ has called you. And you are hearing. And if you are hearing, you have faith. And if you have faith, you can believe. And if you believe today, cry out to him. Call out to God. Appeal to his authority. Bring it to him. Because he says, come unto me. You are labored and heavy laden with sin. Bring it to me. I will give you rest. Christ is your hope today. Let's pray. Father God, you are Savior and you are Lord. You are mighty over everything that we are. And God, we ask today that you would do wondrous works. Father, we cannot do this on our own. Father, we cannot be what you've called us to be. But God, you overcome. You are stronger, as the song said. Father, you have given us hope that we do not have. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Church, if you'd stand with me. There is nothing special about this altar up here. This altar does not change lives. But it is available and is open to you. If you need to come and you need to pray, perhaps you need to cry out to God today. Perhaps you need to talk with someone. People will be here to talk with you. But remember today that Christ is all in all and He is our hope. And that in Him all things are possible. In Him we find the truth. Run to Him today, whether it's for your salvation or for your walk. Remember that all that power rests in Christ. If you'll sing with us.